Will Pope Francis resign? Should Pope Francis resign? And what is the solution to the problem of the papal office in our modern period with the false spirit of Vatican I, with immense Vatican bureaucracy controlling everything, and resigning popes? All that and more on the One Peter Five podcast. Jesus is King. Welcome to the One Peter Five podcast, rebuilding Christendom, restoring Catholic culture and tradition. I'm Timothy Flanders, the editor in chief of One Peter Five. Thank you for tuning in today. We're trying to do this every Monday, God willing. Um, hopefully, at a regular schedule hour. Uh, this week, we're going to have Professor Kwasniewski on his new book, but we had to reschedule that. Something came up for that. But we are doing our series on Ultramontanism based on Kwasniewski's book, The Road from Hyperpapalism to Catholicism. So pick up your copy from Aruka Press. We'll be publishing more and more on this topic. I've got a number of exciting submissions. We just published Jose Ureta today, who is defending Ultramontanism. So make sure to check that out at onepeter5.com. He is bringing up a very important point that Roberto de Mattei also brought up over at Rorate Chely. And that is some of the historical factors and the key players in ultramontanism in the 19th century. So take a look at onepeter5.com and also stay tuned for our response and a conversation and debate and dialogue about this issue between Ureta, de Mattei and others, including Kwasniewski. Uh, we're hoping to get Kwasniewski in a couple of weeks. We'll have a number of shows with him discussing his book. Uh, we also have Father Chet Brittberger. He will be on the, the podcast in a couple of weeks discussing the reprint, the exciting reprint of Dominic Prumer's Handbook of Moral Theology. This is a very exciting text uh, that's been out of print for a long time, tragically. And it's just come back into print with Sophia Institute Press. So you can pre-order your copy now from Sophia. Uh, and Father Ripperger wrote the forward to that. Uh, so that's a very exciting uh, thing as well. So we'll get into that as well. Before we get into our topic, we appeal to you, to our, our viewers, listeners, readers, to please become a monthly donor of 1 Peter 5. We're trying to rebuild our donor base. One, 1 Peter 5 is a nonprofit in the United States, and we do rely on contributions from our readers, our supporters. So please become a monthly donor. You can go to onepeter5.com slash donate. You can donate through cryptocurrency. Anything, anything you can you can spare for, for every month, just $5 a month, $10 a month, $15, whatever you can spare to help us rebuild that donor base. Uh, we cannot last forever with our current donors. We need more donors to continue to produce 1 Peter 5 and produce it for free for everyone. Any, anyone can have 1 Peter 5 content for free, but it's not free to produce. So we do need your support. So please donate onepeter5.com slash donate. So will Pope Francis resign? This is a rumor that was sparked again today um, by uh, a, a famous reporter, Megan Kelly on Twitter, who happened to be in, on a vacation in the Vatican and, and saw some strange things that seemed to indicate to her that uh, the resignation of Pope Francis could be imminent. Uh, a number of comments came through. I, I particularly highlight um, Diane Montagna, who was published with 1 Peter 5 before, uh, one of the greatest Vaticanistas out there in English. And she made mention that there were bishops 
of Brazil at their ad limit of visit uh, in Rome. And so there's not really any particular confirmation of particular events happening this weekend or this today, which would indicate further that Pope Francis is resigning. So what do we have exactly that indicates that Pope Francis may resign? Well, we have, first of all, I, I would bring it back to the Synod on Synodality, because if you look at our Synod Watch series at 1 Peter 5, Synod Watch, that is detailing a number of the historical backgrounds of the current synodality push and how this is the architecture of this is really comes from Cardinal Martini, who was the infamous liberal Marxist heretic cardinal who was leading the push against any conservative forces, whether trad or otherwise, in Europe for decades, and who was the head of the St. Gallen Mafia. And his idea, which is Pope Francis is now implementing and has implemented throughout his, his pontificate, is this synodality. And the synodality is this idea of constant revolution through the mechanism of synods to create this democratic mechanism in the church where you're polling the faithful for opinion polls and calling that the census fidelium wrongly and pushing this on the church. So Pope Francis has already been putting this into place with his various synods, but the synod of synodality seems to attempt to establish the final mechanism for constant revolution in the church before he dies or resigns. This is seems to be the, the crowning piece of his pontificate is the synod of synodality. So putting the wheels in motion for this whole synodal process to try to make this a permanent synod church. And the other factor is his, his most recent consistory, which involved numerous critical cardinals, especially Roche, uh, making him a cardinal, um, other nefarious actors who have been put into place since the beginning of his pontificate all the way to today. He just elevated... Um, Cardinal Supich to the Congregation for Divine Worship uh, as the anti-trad enforcer, as we called him at 1 Peter 5. Um, so he's putting all the pieces in, in, in place and making an emergency consistory to try to get all the cardinals in place is could be an indication that he's trying to put all the pieces together and resign. And then he's going to the tomb of St. Celestine V the only other Pope who resigned besides Pope Benedict. So these are all indications. Now, speculatively, we can speculate based on the excellent piece by the, the book by Henry Sear, also a writer, Open Peter V, uh, The Dictator Pope. And in this book, he outlines the fact that by all appearances, by all the evidence that we have about Pope Francis, about Jorge Maria Bergoglio is that he loves power even more than ideology. He, this is why he plays, seems to play both sides sometimes. And it's not really clear where he stands at, at certain points. And it could indicate that he wants to put these pieces in place. And then he wants to resign in order to allow those pieces to take their effect. And by being alive, 
to witness it, there's a certain amount of control over that because he can still influence things because he's alive, even though he's, he wouldn't have the papal office. So it, it might be a, a, a means where he can think that he can control things further. So that could be that could be something, but that's just speculation. There are rumors that the Pope will resign. Uh, this is not new. This was happening happening under Benedict before he resigned. It happened under Paul VI. Um, I want to just discuss a little bit about the problem of the resigning popes. Because the problem is that when the Pope resigns, as Pope Benedict did, by all accounts, he was pressured into doing what he did. He was pressured by the St. Gallen Mafia. As he calls them, he says, the wolves. Pray for me that I may not flee from the wolves, he says in his opening homily of his, of his pontificate. Uh, he alludes to certain things when he speaks to Peter Seawald later after his resignation, speaking of the wolves. And it seems quite obvious that, at least circumstantially, that he was forced out by nefarious forces in the Vatican. Now, when you establish the precedent that the Pope can resign, the problem is that it weakens the office of the papacy. Now, as trads, we may think, yes, Pope Francis should resign. He's the worst pope in the history of the world. My concern is that will that further weaken the office of the papacy? Let me explain what I mean by that. If the pope can re just resign, if we establish the president where every new pope will just resign, well, then the pressure groups will redouble their efforts. The, the pressure, it will become even more of a political office, which just gets pushed around, pushed pushed until one can resign until there's a point where the papacy just breaks and the pope resigns the pope folds to his enemies i hope that's not what happened with pope benedict but all indications seem to point in that direction i think that it weakens the office of the papacy it becomes a political pawn it's already a political pawn enough from all, all the different forces that array against it. And it's been that way for centuries. We talk about the first, second, and the third pornocracy at 1 Peter 5. So the per first pornocracy in particular in the 10th century and the papacy was pushed around by political factors. But at that time, they were assassinating popes. And so obviously that would end the papacy. But in our day, we don't have... Uh, we have potential. We have a potential murder of John Paul One, as we've discussed uh, through the best sources with Charles Murr. Um, but in our day, if we have resigning popes, that's going to weaken the office of the papacy. Now, the other problem, though, is that if the pope keeps on growing older and older and older, he's growing more feeble in physically, mentally. And his bureaucracy then takes over. Now, this is a, this is a, a theory forwarded by uh, Taylor Marshall in his book, Infiltration. He forwards the theory that Pius XII's pontificate was a victim of bureaucracy, a victim of old age and bureaucracy. So Pius XII, he surmises in the, in the late 50s, we had the 1955 Holy Week we have uh, the pieces that are coming together for the revolution at the end of Pius XII's pontificate. And this may be a result because uh, a result of 
Pius XII's old age, his sickness, so that he became less and less able to do his office. And so his bureaucracy was had to take over more and more of the daily operations of his pontificate. But when that happens, it also weakens the office. So the office cannot function as this center of unity, as it is, as the office of St. Peter, the universal pastor of the church. It becomes this bureaucratic nightmare. And I think Marshall's thesis is reasonable to state that later on in his pontificate, they were able to push through the Holy Week reform of 1955. And as Braga called it, it was the first battering ram to punch through a hitherto static liturgy. And many of the things that we decry about the Novus Ordo are present, at least in seed form or in principle, in the 1955 reform. So we have a number of things in the bureaucracy of Pius XII, which may indicate that we had a problem. Now, we also have the long pontificate of John Paul II, where the, the sex abuse crisis was breaking out in the early 2000s when John Paul II was declining and declining in health. So his bureaucracy was taking over. Now, Roberto de Mattei at 1 Peter 5 indicates through sources who are connected with Charles Murr, Monsignor Marini, indicates that there was a massive bureaucracy manipulating Papa Wojtyla. It was already in play for decades. And so when a man becomes old and weak in his body, in his mind, that bureaucracy can more and more take over. So I think an old age papacy also has a, it also weakens the, the office. But I think that if we consider it this historically, we might be able to find a solution to this. Um, I think one of the, one possible solution is that the Pope should renounce modern medical um, modern medical technology insofar as it is artificially propping up your life longer and longer and longer. So that would need to be defined exactly what that means. But there at certain point when a man grows old, he can make a choice when he gets cancer. Now rumors are there are more substantial rumors that Pope Francis's health is much worse than it is being reported. Um, these are coming again. Henry Sear shared this rumor. It's more of a substantial rumor, I'll call it. Not it's not been confirmed, but it's from sources that are more trustworthy than just random Vatican rumors. So we are quite confident that we know for sure that Pope Francis's health is even worse than is being officially said by the Vatican. Um, what if the papacy simply renounced excessive medical treatment from the very beginning of the pontificate so that one could just die a more natural death and not one's life could not be prolonged sort of more artificially? What if in this sense, in this sense, we would have the popes at their prime where they could truly be a pastor. They could, they could really, the office itself could be preserved and the bureaucracy could not continue to take over. Uh, I think this is, this is a possible solution. Uh, then the Pope would simply die of natural causes. Eventually they would typically die younger than 80s or 90s 
Uh, Pope Benedict is how old is he now? 90 something, I think. Um, but this might be a possible solution. Uh, now, but the other more fundamental issue is that what we promote at 1 Peter 5 is we are promoting the discussion about the problem of ultramontanism and hyperpapalism, this false spirit of Vatican I. Now, we have to dig into the depths of this history and find out where did we get to the point where we have the Vatican trying to govern what is in your church bulletin, in your parish bulletin. We just had Pope Francis crack down so that a bishop cannot set up his own apostolates. He has to get written permission for new groups. This is a problem with this, this Vatican machinery. And what we have in this third pornocracy period, we have the we had the first pornocracy, which was overcome by the efforts of Emperor Otto and the Cluniac reforms, which eventually blossomed into the crusade movement, the high Middle Ages, so-called uh, the glories of Western Christendom. And then we have the second pornocracy, which eventually, after the sack of Rome and the Council of Trent and the founding of the classical Jesuits, we had the Counter-Reformation, which stopped the Protestant revolt in its tracks. But in the midst of that was created a, a great deal of Vatican bureaucratic systems in order to stem the tide of the iconoclastic revolt of the Protestants. And we have Quo Primum, we have Pius V, suppressing local liturgical rites. And we have desperate times call for desperate measures. So we have all these centralizing forces of the papacy, of Vatican bureaucracy. We have the great uh, congregation for the propagation of the faith, which converts much of the world through the Jesuits and others. Um, but there's actually, there's also a, a downside, which we've come to realize in this third pornocracy, because what if we have all this bureaucracy, which is put in place to fight against the Protestants, what if eventually we have nefarious actors who gain the reins of this, this massive bureaucracy? What if the Masons get in? What if the Marxists get in? What if various sodomitical demo demoniacs of what else we know possessed by fallen angels gets into that Vatican bureaucracy? Well, that's the problem we have today. That's what we have with the third pornocracy. We've, we have this Vatican bureaucracy, which has now been taken almost completely control by ideologues, heretics, and other nefarious actors who are now using this Vatican bureaucracy. So here's the problem we have now. And what we need to do is we need to have every bishop reclaim their role as the bishop, because ultimately what has happened is the Vatican bureaucracy has undermined the office of every single bishop to the point where every bishop sees himself as a vicar of Rome, a vicar. He's a bureaucrat of Rome. He does what Rome tells him, even if Rome is usurping his own authority by telling him what should be in his church bulletin or su suppressing his right to erect new groups and preach the gospel in his own diocese. This is, this is a failure of subsidiarity. Subs this, this is the principle which helps us wade through the false spirit of Vatican I 
because the after Vatican one in particular, that bureaucracy has become so immense to the point that we can have Paul the six suppressing the ancient Roman rite, and almost no bishops oppose him. Now we're already seeing the silver lining of this problem in the pontificate of Pope Francis, where we have traditionalist custodes, and we had multiple bishops, cardinals, and priests, not to mention laymen, opposing him openly. And we so we have a serious opportunity here to work through this false spirit of Vatican I, to restore subsidiarity to the church, the healthy balance of every episcopacy. Now, what do we do as, as common laymen? We need to have an understanding of our Catholic life that is not does not revolve around the Pope or does not revolve around what happens in Rome or what's happening now. Because what happens in Rome may or may not affect you. Most of the time, it shouldn't affect you. But this is part of the false spirit of Vatican I is when, when the, we think that the Pope is the church or the church is the Pope. And so this is what we want to get back to is this common understanding of tradition. So that's what we're, we're promoting at 1 Peter 5. So take a look at uh, the Ultramontanism article from today. Ureta will be discussing that. Uh, Lisa mentions, I pray only for the good intentions of Pope Francis and the for, for conversion of his heart. That's a great comment, Lisa. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, this brings out how much as Catholics, no matter what happens in Rome or what Pope Francis does or does not do, we do need to have a filial love for him as the Holy Father, and we need to pray for him. And luckily, the office of the Pope does have certain intentions that are tied to the office itself. This is in, um, it was in, I think it's in the Recolta where it actually mentions, because we're talking about indulgences and we have to pray for the intentions of the Pope to gain an indulgence. And the office of the Pope has certain intentions by virtue of its if its office itself, no matter who is the occupant of the, of the papacy. And part of those intentions are preaching of the gospel, converting the heathen, rooting out heresy. Those are intentions of the office of the papacy, no matter who has the papacy. So we can, and this goes back to the fact that the Pope is not the church. Even if the Pope is a bad Pope, the papacy itself is an institution of Christ and continues to function in that office, even as we pray for the intentions of that papacy. And so as Catholics, we can meditate upon these realities when we pray the rosary. That is the reality of the Catholic life is, is the rosary as we meditate on the mysteries of Christ. So this week we're finishing the octave of Corpus Christi, and I encourage all to join the, the um, crusade of Eucharistic reparation. That is the cause that we've been promoting with His Excellency Bishop Schneider. The crusade of Eucharistic reparation is really the soul of the trad movement because we have attempted and thought, fought with, as our fathers did, we fought for the ancient Roman rite to give God his glorious due in the Blessed Sacrament. And we want to make reparation to him in the Blessed Sacrament. So I encourage you to go to 1peter5.com and you can search for Eucharistic reparation. Um, 
and you can join the crusade and it's a minimal commitment it's just one hour of eucharistic adoration per month to offer reparation for sins against the blessed sacrament so i encourage you to go there to join us in this effort and this octave of corpus christi is a great time to offer up something to god in the blessed sacrament so i encourage that uh we also have the feast of the sacred heart uh, a great feast of reparation as well uh let's see elizabeth paniatovsky says this is not so good pope at all he confused so many people only that it's called to con conversation yes um absolutely this is the problem that we have attempted to remedy in our small way at one peter five and all the different trad apostolates and and other others uh, even more mainstream than us like ewtn like raymond arroyo attempting to clarify the confusion that has been brought about by pope francis this is a serious issue now but because of the false spirit of vatican one if we think that the pope is the church and the church is the pope if the pope brings about confusion we're tempted to also be confused in our catholic life we need not we need not be confused if, if there's some confusion like if there's a dubia the pope won't answer he's making if you know he's 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 insinuating that the, the death penalty is intrinsically evil which would be heretical would be contradict 2000 plus years of catholic tradition so we say holy father your holiness what do you mean do you mean that the death penalty is intrinsically evil well what will happen he'll most likely he'll refuse to answer well in that case we have to fall back on the prior teaching because we haven't been bound for anything by the pope we haven't been bound by any definitive act of the of the papacy any explicit acts which defines this or that thing as binding on this question we've just got some ambiguities so the church is not destroyed when a pope issues ambiguities because any law that is not clear anything that is not clearly infallible does not bind anything that is ambiguous does not bind any conscience you can't be bound in your conscience if you see a speed limit sign which has no numbers you don't even know what you're supposed to do so we fall back on the on the prior teaching we continue to teach that to our children and we practice that even if there's some ambiguity from the pope uh, Carolyn says this, the College of Cardinals as the sole group involved in the collection of a pope must be reconsidered. That's a really great point too, Carolyn. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, the College of Cardinals was initially, as I understand it, it was brought about to try to fight against the corruption of the Roman, uh, the city of Rome, uh, way back, going back into the first pornocracy. Uh, where the people of Rome, the clergy of Rome, elected the Bishop of Rome. And to get away from the corruption of those people, there was the College of Cardinals. But now we have the corrupt College of Cardinals. So we need to maybe we can we need to leave this and go back to the people of Rome to elect the Bishop of Rome. Um, one other aspect that I, I heard from Charles Murr was that in order for any any progress to be made, of cleaning out the third pornocracy Vatican swamp is that any new Pope to make any progress needs to immediately sack every single one of all these bishops and priests and everybody who's a part of all this, anything who's running in the, anything in the Vatican, sack them all and then 
bring in all your own trusted people. And that's been the problem with any prior attempts of any Pope. Uh, I, I think, I do think Pope Benedict certainly had goodwill and he did some good things to sack some bad people, but unless you go hardcore and sack everybody and replace them, there's not going to be any progress with that. So that's one consideration, but thankfully as, as laymen, laywomen, laity, it is our job to pray and hope and don't worry. And knowing that God is in control of the church, Christ is the head of the church and Christ will vindicate his bride. So let's pray an Ave to close this out. Once again, please become a monthly donor. 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5.com slash donate. Let's pray. In nomine Patris, Sifidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum liarbus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris, Sifidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen.